Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll be reading verses 1 through 19 this morning. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 through 19. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. As is my custom, God's Word declares, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren... If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Well, we have spent the last two weeks focusing on the directive of what is the pinnacle of the Christian experience. What is the evidence that of the reality of Christ in your life. And we did not look at a spiritual gift, um, like speaking in tongues as, well, that proves you have the Holy Spirit. We did not look at any specific ministry within the church that that proves you must be godly um, because you are in this fulfilling this capacity, this role within the church. But rather we looked at Paul's, by his Spirit's uh, prompting, that as well as John and Peter and James, the other writers of Scripture as well, all uh, unified in this uh, truth that the acme of spirituality is love. Defined not by man, but by God. Is that unconditional commitment to others that is willing to sacrifice our own interests for their care, for their good. That this is an enduring quality of true Christianity. 
this very powerful and blessed information and chapter is given to us within the confines of a passage of several chapters, three chapters long, dealing with a issue within the church that in these last hundred years or so, 80 to 100 years, has grown more and more contentious and more and more confusing. And it's interesting because in the midst of dealing with this one issue, um, Paul makes that declaration that God is not a God of confusion, but of order. He is not one that introduces chaos. And so when we look at confusion uh, coming into the church, we must understand its origin. It is not of God, but it is either of men or of the evil one. And so we look now into the antithesis to love, which is self-aggrandizement, which is puffing oneself up. And we derive all of this from that singular statement um, that Paul communicated to us early in the book that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And we are going, we have studied love now for two weeks. We are going to now look at how it exercises itself in the area of the teaching of the church. How do we gain information uh, about God and bring it into our lives? How do we edify one another? What are the best ways to do this? Our tendency is to come to a passage like this and speak against something. And certainly uh, it does speak against something, but I prefer to look at it and see what it's pre- directing us toward. It is for something. And throughout p- chapter 14, we're going to find what Paul emphatically wants us to understand is that if it is truly our objective to edify one another, then we should be engaging something within one another. And that is our understanding. And this is, again, consistent throughout all of God's Word, and, and which makes perfect sense, because if our understanding was not to be engaged, and we are just on some uh, ec- ecstatic experience, if we are just at some uh, experiential level uh, only, then we wouldn't have a written Scriptures, because it would all be based upon uh, your experience. But because we have a written scriptures, we recognize that we must immediately come to it with our understanding. You can't just read this with your brain turned off, with your, with your uh, intelligence uh, not engaged. We just can't do it. Uh, it becomes a meaningless exercise of just repetitious words that many involve within their religion. And, uh, and it becomes pointless, vain. And so we come to Scripture, uh, and I want to look not only, we'll, we'll touch on what it has passed away, what has dimmed, what has, what has uh, uh, vanished, and focus on what is. That which edifies the church. And so we are confronted right away with chapter 14, this Uh, statement, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So while the Corinthians were elevating one gift, the speaking in tongues, which is uh, strangely exactly the gift that is elevated today in too many congregations and too many church movements, um, the the ecstasy, this this activity that that takes me beyond myself uh, into this that... uh, must show that the Holy Spirit's in control of me because I'm not in control of myself, um, even though it goes counter to other scriptures. We are told to pursue love. 
that this is our passion, this is our drive, this is our number one ambition, is that I will go after love. It doesn't mean that I don't engage my spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean that I uh, am impassionate about them. It doesn't mean that I neglect them, but rather that I put them in the right place. And that is that they are secondary or tertiary. That they are not of primary importance because they can be exercised. And if I do it in an unloving manner, it is worthless. We talked about that last week and the week before. You can do all kinds of ministry, you can preach, but if you do not do it out of a genuine biblical love, um, it is valueless. And so we pursue love. That is our passion. That is our drive. That is our ambition. And yes, we can still desire after spiritual gifts, but we must do so with that foundation. Not to puff ourselves up that I have a certain gift, but rather that we say God has given me something to edify the believers. If that is my purpose, then what the church elevates as extraordinary gifts will change. It will reflect the fact that it is those that edify the church that are most beneficial, not those that puff up the individual and say, look at me. So we come to this uh, with a foundational understanding that speaking in tongues is not that big a deal. Men elevate it and make it a big deal, which is error. It isn't that big a deal to speak in other languages, and that is, uh, by and large, what is spoken or referred to uh, that we are speaking in languages of other men. Paul, even in this passage, when we get to uh, verse 10, he's going to talk about there are many kinds of languages in the world. And so what he's referring to is not gibberish, it's not speaking on that level, but rather that we are communicating in, in, in various languages, languages we haven't necessarily learned or been familiar with, dialects that we can't really uh, contrive by our intelligence and therefore the Holy Spirit is doing that singularly. And so he says, listen, there's some tongue speaking going on. It has a purpose. We're going to study that purpose a little bit more next week. I don't think I'm going to get to it today um, and get you out of here on time. That would be later on in the chapter. But we have this purpose. But what are you doing? You are not fundamentally, if you are speaking in this heavenly language, which many of them claim... I, this is the tongue of angels. There's men's tongues and there's angelic tongues. We use the angelic tongues. So Paul says, okay, you're going to use that. You're not speaking to men at all then. Then, then you're speaking to God. What are you edifying? And unless you think that speaking in other languages is really impossible, and this, just isn't, this is ridiculous, um, I want to take you back to uh, thinking of how easy it is to make people talk um, in other languages. Um, God was able to open the mouth of a donkey once so that he could talk in an Aramaic language. Christ himself says that if you don't praise me, I can make the rocks talk. So don't get too excited that you're able to talk in another language. Is essentially what Paul's going to say here. It's not the premier gift. It is not minister to the church um, you have these mysteries you have them there but um, they aren't the premier ones 
because at the end, at the conclusion of the matter, uh, the measure isn't whether we it creates awe in us. Wow, that's wild. I wonder what that feels like to do that. I want to do that. Well, if that's our perspective, we have totally missed pursuing love, haven't we? Because what that is all about is you want to experience it. You want to be at that level. I want to sense that. I want to know the Holy Spirit is moving like that in me. And we have confused this, and now we are no longer pursuing love, but pursuing our own interests. That is, I want to have this feeling of ecstasy that they appear to have in their life as they speak in this other language or in this, quote-unquote, heavenly language. And Paul says you've just violated the rule of love. The rule of love says I'm not pursuing my interests. It's not about what I want to experience. It's not what I want to attain to, but rather it is how can I minister effectually to others. And this is the, the fundamental aspect of Paul's statement in verse 19. That says, I would rather teach five words with my understanding than 10,000 in a tongue. What value is there to any of us when we are, can't understand what is being communicated? We sit there and we shrug our shoulders. And we can. Uh, and I've been to other services I, in Haiti. I don't know French. And so I'm sitting there and, and I'm listening very intently. And it seems like there's a lot of passion going on up there. I can tell when the ebb and flow of a message. I've been in enough sermons and heard enough and preached enough to see what he's excited about and, and things along that line. And I, and I try to find my place in God's Word where they're at. But generally, I sit there and listen to the whole message. I listen to the singing, and I'm clueless. I mean, it's a blessing to be among them, and I appreciate that. But I can't walk out of there and say I have any idea of what they were teaching, what they are believing, and what impact it would have on my life. Pastor Predestin, when he got up there, uh, interrupted one of his messages and said about a paragraph and a half in English. About jumped out of my seat. Okay, I knew he was only preaching to one person. Well, two, me and Larry. Um, and I perked up. The rest of everything he preached, I don't know. He could have been preaching anything. You know, you've been telling them that Americans are fat and lazy. I don't know what he was saying up there. But that paragraph was substantial to me. Because I understood it. And so when we look at these that want to introduce this error, I want you to understand that it's not just erroneous because the Bible says that these things are going to pass. It's not just erroneous because the Bible says this is going to be... Uh, a sign gift to the Jews, um, and if you do use it beyond that, you're going to cause some problems. It's not just those issues that I'm going to discuss with people. It's the whole foundation of, are you doing this in a loving manner for the edification of the church? And Paul's statement over and over and over again in chapter 14 is, no, you are not. Now, we live in a time um, different than the Corinthians at the writing of this book. 
I believe we live in the time when that which is perfect has come, and therefore that which is in part has been done away with. And that is, I believe, he's referring to the completion of God's Word, that we have a finished revelation, a fullness, a mature faith, that now we are not required or even want after that, for we want after the truth of God's Word and to understand it. And the Spirit's working in us moves to that point of illuminating us to that truth rather than revealing truth. That is, giving us new truth that should be written down and added to your Bible. Because it has to have equal authority if it has the same origin. So we live in a time um, when that has gone. And so this idea of direct revelation from God with reference to things around us and in our life that is in addition to Scripture um, is past. But the Corinthians were still living in that time. The Scriptures were still being penned. They weren't complete. They had uh, very few documents available to them to really direct the church and its doctrine, its teaching, its practice. And so when we look at uh, Paul's instruction here, largely in chapter 14, particularly when he says, you know, it's okay, I hope you do speak in tongues. Um, and I hope that you do it right. I hope that you engage in it, but engage in it properly, but don't overemphasize it. And many have taken hold of this and said, see, we're supposed to do this. No, the Corinthians were supposed to do this. But the real heart of chapter 14 is drawn out again and again and again. It's be- There's something better. There's something better. And it is that better, that more complete, that fuller, that more uh, edifying that we should be after, that we should be desiring after these better gifts. First, we pursue love. If that isn't our motivation, then we can discount the entire movement. We come now to, okay, I have, I'm pursuing love. What is now my objective? And we come to verse 3, and I think it is a powerful statement. Paul is saying, listen, you want to speak truth that people understand. And we see the word prophesy, and we think of foretelling And yes, there is some of that, uh, of telling what will be, um, but the word also, uh, and more importantly, and more often, describes forth-telling. That is, we would use the word preaching here very many times. And so what is he who preaches speaking? He's speaking in your language, but what is he doing? He's doing three things. He speaks edification, that is, building us up. He speaks exhortation, which is straightening us up. And he speaks comfort, which is bearing us up. When we pursue love and we engage in the teaching of God's truth, these should be the results. Not confusion, not debate, not uh, the elevation of uh, emotional experiences not experientialism, but rather these things. We should see people being built up by the communicating of of the Word of God, whether it be in your private conversation, in your writing, in your uh, public conversation, uh, in your teaching ministry, within your family or within the church. It is to build up, to strengthen. It is also to straighten up. And edification is about communicating uh, necessary information uh, to be 
understanding of your faith. That I have this basis, this foundation of, of information about God that I have uh, conformed to by faith. Certainly, I don't discount that aspect. Um, but edification, essentially, that we're going to give you the tools to know your God. To obey Him. To follow Him. That's edification. I'm going to bring the resources to bear so that you can know what does God want? What pleases Him? What does it mean to trust in Him? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And that's edification. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to equip you with the tools necessary to walk and to live the Christian life. And then we come to this word, exhortation. And this part, you might say, oh, this isn't very loving at all. I don't like it. Neither do I. But it is very loving. Exhortation uh, straightens us up. Exhortation says, you better do this, or you are not pleasing God. It is generally not necessarily giving us information about God. It is calling us to follow that information. It is calling us away from sin, away from worldliness, away from man's ideas, and, and directing us into the truths that we claim by faith, yet might not be in our life. And exhortation is about straightening us up. You've got to walk this narrow path. You've got to be on this road. You can't wander off on this exit ramp. You can't fool around down there in that ditch. You've got to go on this path that God has laid forth His truth. This is how we walk. And exhortation straightens that path, levels that ground for us that we might say, well, this is how I should live. And we do that not only by verbal instruction and exhortation, but by example as well. Here's how we walk. None of us really, we don't mind edification. If a pastor seeks to edify us to teach us, we're okay with that. Usually, our backs kind of bristle a little bit when he starts exhorting us. When we start dealing with exhortation, that's usually when we start stiffening. I don't mind if you want to, you know, tickle my brain cells a little bit and give me information I didn't know before, but now you're kind of getting personal. You think I'm not walking right? You're saying that what I've been doing all these years isn't right? Well, first of all, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was God telling you that. And He probably told me that before I told you that. Which means that I've been dealing with that area of exhortation in my life as well. Um, to do otherwise would be a hypocritical ministry. If I was exhorting others to walk as I don't walk. That is not what I want to be about. So yeah, I, I'm being edified and I hopefully am responding to the exhortation of God's Word and, and God's people as well and uh, that I'm not resistant to it. I'm discerning of it, certainly. Uh, but when it comes from God's Word, I have to conform. We've been dealing that throughout Corinthians especially because we've wandered so far from some of the truths that are clearly taught here. So that's exhortation. So we're edifying, which is building up, exhorting, 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 which is straightening us up, and then comfort. And we all like this part, to bear us up, to carry us along. And this the Holy Spirit describes, is described as the comforter, the one who comes alongside of us. 
is literally the idea of someone that's going to help you walk, to bear you up. At, at, let's say if someone's injured and, and they've got a leg injury, you're going to come up and you're going to be that other leg for them. You're going to bear that weight that normally that leg would carry. And so it is not exhortation without comfort. Not to excuse sin, but to recognize that we there's inherent weaknesses in us. That we just don't need to be clobbered over the head over and over again. We also need to be comforted. To be encouraged might be another word that we would often use. That we are encouraged. If we were to keep with the ease, I might have used that if I were the translator. That we are edified, exhorted, and encouraged. But it's this comforting. I'm going to bear this up with you. It is not me saying you ought to. It is we responding to God's instruction that we ought to. I'm not going to sit back here and, and give you this exhortation, this edification, and then laugh at you if you fall on your face. But rather, I'm going to engage myself with you in dealing with the struggles that we all have in living, fleshing this out, living this truth. In the past few months, I've had a lot of cognitive dissonance. That's a big college word I learned. Term. It's two words. Cognitive dissonance. Dissonance means sounds that don't go together, which is usually how you know me singing sounds like. Um, and so... In my mind, it's like, oh, I've always done it this way. And I, we talked about it when we were referring to communion and uh, the passages here. You know, I have been saying this for 20-some years. Have I been wrong all this time? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes all three of these really to get us over that issue. I remember Pastor Bailey coming up to me uh, in the midst of a prophecy teaching or in the midst of my study in Revelation. And he says, have, we been teach- have I been teaching it wrong all these years? And I, well, that's something you need to evaluate. And he came up to me about three weeks later and he says, yeah, we did the best we could back then. <laughs> but he was more and more convinced that this was the right direction. I remember Bud Johnson, senior man of God and saying to me the same thing and oh what a heart to say uh, I'm going to be responsive to God's word even though I've been trained in saying or doing it this way in ministry all my life um, if I'm confronted with the truth of God's word I have to change God I don't have to change God's word and so our responsibility isn't just to exhort isn't just to edify but it's also to come along and bear each other up and say well let's Let's strive after this together. Let's pursue this together. Because I'm not really just trying to be uh, uh, just your teacher. I'm not trying to just be your conscience. I'm trying to love you. I want your best. And so I teach my children. I discipline my children. um, But I am there encouraging my children to pursue godliness. And this is what real ministry, driven by a pursuit for godly love for one another, looks like. 
It's not about, wow, I had this wonderful experience last night. I felt so spiritual. I felt so close to God. And we're all going, oh, I wish I could have that. Who's been edified? Who's been exhorted? Who's been comforted? No one. All that's the conclusion of it is, well, that's good for you, but I don't have that. And then we start questioning every truth of God's work in our life. Because I don't have the experience that so-and-so had. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe this and maybe that. Do you see what it's brought? It hasn't brought edification. It has brought de-edification. You have, you have torn them down. And you call that a spiritual gift? God calls us to speak with our understanding. And so in verse 4, he who prophesies edifies the church. He who proclaims, who, who, who preaches, he edifies the church. This isn't just professional clergy, for we all are preachers. We are our proclaimers of God's truth in our life and with our words. And so, yes, Paul wanted them to speak with tongues. It was necessary in that time frame because scriptures weren't completed, um, but it was even more necessary for them that they heard good teaching. And so he elevates that position and uh, he recognizes that there is still a role for the interpretation of tongues, that that will allow the church to be edified as well. Um, But again, what's its goal? Must be the glorification of God through the building up of the saints, not yourself. And so he comes again with the negative in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 14. If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? If all you hear is a language that makes no sense to you, what have you benefited? Our purpose is to make sure that we are benefited. That every time we gather together, we can walk out saying, today I was edified, today I was exhorted, today I was encouraged. And yes, all three can happen through messages. I don't really understand that because some messages I walk away from and I say, well, that was just edification. I didn't really exhort anybody. And then someone comes up and says, oh boy, that was really challenging to me. I didn't think I really did much challenging. Other times I say, I'm just here. I sense that this is more of an exhortation message. And someone says, I didn't know that before. (laughs) You're supposed to live it. (laughs) And others are for encouragement. And yet people can be edified and exhorted by that. I don't understand and grasp that. But when the truth of God's word is being communicated by those who desire the best for those to whom they are communicating, out of that kind of love, God's Word has the capacity to do all of that for us. Paul then gives us an illustration out of the music world about instruments. If you just start blaring instruments randomly, whether it be a flute or... What's the other one he picks here? It's um, the harp or the flute. You just start a trumpet. You start making indistinct sounds, uh, what does it call you to? You can't sing to it, you can't whistle to it, you can't skip by it, you can't 
You don't know whether you're going to battle, whether somebody's just sick. I mean, you don't know. You have to conclude that some inexperienced person has gotten a hold of that trumpet and just started blaring at it. You don't know if it's taps. You don't know if it's reveille. What's its purpose? What has it benefited the army? The infantrymen standing there, what do they do? They're frozen. And for too many of the church, they're in that condition. They're not walking with God because they don't really know what it means. Because all they see are these people with this ecstatic experience in front of them and they're longing for it, saying, I want that. How do I get that? And they don't know how to get it because they don't understand anything's being said because there's nothing really being said. How can we march to indistinct sounds? How can we prepare for battle that God has designed for us? We can't understand the sounds, let alone their meaning. From what I can tell, we have a hard enough time getting Christians edified, exhorted, and encouraged in English. Just to get them to understand English today is a challenge. Sometimes I wonder if half my words that most of you under 20 even understand. You're so poorly educated in your own language. I don't know how to talk text yet. You guys text me and I'm like, what is this? And I did take a test by text once. Um, it wasn't called that. It was back in seminary like 25 years ago before texting ever existed. It was a test to find out if I could learn languages. And they give letters like R. And then you're, they give you a series of letters. You're supposed to translate that into a sentence. And to me, it was Rufus. You know, are you something or other? You know, but I'm supposed to translate l letters into words, which is texting today. You guys would just pass that like that because you just do it all the time. But uh, I failed, failed miserably, horribly bad. Couldn't grasp that concept. I just saw, you just spelled red. I don't know what. R and then the E and then the D are supposed to get me R, E. I'm supposed to sound it out. We're having enough difficulty getting people to know God's truth in English. And we compound our problems when we speak to them in a language they don't understand, if it's a language at all then we wonder why they go out there and live like the world. Paul says, you're soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to be prepared for battle. You need a distinct sound that you know. Not because I experienced it, but because I was trained in it. Because my understanding was engaged and I grasped it as truth. And that I was 
exhorted to follow after that, to walk according to that truth, to bring it into my very life, and that I'm not doing this just me against the tide, but I have a body of saints around me to bear me up and and draw me through, and ultimately the Holy Spirit within me to do that. And so I engage my understanding. And the church is edified. And this is our objective. Not to long after some experience that somebody else has. But that through the exercise of my spiritual gifts and my zeal for them, he says in verse 20, in verse 12, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. That I'm not going to try to strengthen and build up my ministry for my experience, but rather for the training and exhorting and the comforting of the church that they might walk in unity of faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. To do so requires us to engage our understanding. Paul has said this over and over again throughout this passage. You have to have your understanding there. You have to have the mind of Christ. You have to engage those gray cells up here. The Christian walk is not full of vacant thinking. One of the greatest disasters going on right now in our culture is the lack of genuine thoughtfulness, of a close examination of rudimentary motives and actions. Why? And is it right? Why am I doing this? And is it right? What does God's Word really say? And what does it look like? And over and over again, this is what I strive to draw us to, is to carefully consider our ways. That Old Testament prophet that repeated that over and over again, consider your ways. Engage your understanding. Walk with God is not an experience to be longed after that some attain to and some don't. Walk with God. It's to walk in truth with your understanding. That your understanding is fruitful, but, um, Paul says here in Corinthians. And so in that time period, yes, they prayed with the Spirit, but they also engaged the understanding. Yes, they spoke and sang in tongues, but they spoke also with understanding. We're going to see more of the problems that are produced once we abandon that. And it's fascinating because the very problems that Paul references later in this chapter, we're going to see today in the tongues movement. The very issue, one right after another, uh, prevalent today. But what I want to focus on rather than saying don't do this is that we must engage ourselves and engage our understanding in ministry that we strengthen our minds. For we have a knowable God who has communicated truth to us and expects us to understand it, bring it into our lives, and live it together. And that, to me, is more precious than any ecstatic experience that comes and goes. 
that I may or may not enjoy and repeat. That other people measure me by both negatively and positively. But now I have a sure foundation. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And I am persuaded that I will see Him in that day. And I can endure my family perishing around me. I can endure all of my goods being ripped away from me. I can endure my own health being destroyed. And I can stand because I know. Those are the words of a man named Job. I know my Redeemer lives. I know it. And my experience of life do not determine truth to me. My knowledge of God determines truth. And though the world tried to persuade me otherwise, and remember Job had three of them come up to try to persuade him that you're, you're something wrong with you, Bubba. You know, something's wrong with you. You've done something wrong. We know it. They can't dissuade us from truth. But once you have come to truth, recognize yourself, conformed yourself to it, and really engaged your understanding in the, its acquisition and its, its fullness, you will be immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And this is our work. And let us fervently, zealously, as the word he uses here, pursue spiritual ministry toward one another to engage one another's understanding to consider our ways. How ought we to live? Why aren't we living that way? How can we live that way together better and better? And when we start seeing the focus of our ministry there and there only, then we have a sureness. We have the church being edified. Yes, there's some things that need to be changed, but that's because we're not, we weren't in conformity with God before. And we bear that and we say we are all on a course towards Christ's likeness. Some a little farther along the journey than others, but we can bear one another up because we are on going the same direction with my understanding engaged, desiring after the truth of God's Word, not for my own exaltation, but for the building up of the church, for the straightening up of our lives for the bearing up of our brethren. This is what real spirituality looks like. Not rolling on the floor, not laughing uncontrollably, not jumping out of your chairs, not speaking with your mouth things that no one understands like yourself. Real, loving ministry edifies, exhorts, and comforts. Sounds dull. (laughs) 
But I got to tell you, concrete work to me is dull, but I wouldn't want to live in a house without it. I mean, it's just rock, sand, and a few chemicals, right? But it's pretty important. In fact, it's kind of interesting because we cover up all of our foundations, don't we, with pretty things like wood, carpet, tile. But we know that that's all a facade if the foundation underneath it is crumbling. Can't stand. And so the church has become enamored with pretty things, exciting things, and has abandoned foundational things. And Paul says, don't do that. Please, focus all your attention. Focus your zeal. Focus to excel in this area. To build up, straighten up, and bear up God's church.